It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. With me, finally, Jesse Redman. Uh, long time coming, man. I appreciate uh, you being on The Talking Hedge. You are a managing partner at Higher Calling. Is that uh, a cannabis investing company? What do you do? Yeah, exactly. So uh, Higher, Higher Calling is my consulting business where I help uh, cannabis investors find the best and most appropriate cannabis investments. Those could be private equity deals. Those could be public things like ETFs or stocks. They could be one-off SPVs. So it just kind of depends on the type of client and their risk tolerance and what they're looking for. Yeah. And we'll have a link to your LinkedIn uh, contact and info uh, in the show notes. So if people want to get a hold of you, they can do that. Um, but I want to jump into what's been happening in the North American cannabis market. There's 15 markets that headset covers. And so just kind of tracking what's been happening, we can kind of look through that market and then maybe get a gauge of what will happen, or at least just have a decent conversation about what we've seen. Let's just kind of jump into um, this this first graph here um basically of uh you know California and Colorado well let's look at California that's a huge market you're in Cali are you not Jesse yeah I'm just outside of Santa Barbara California eclipsed 500 million dollars um the highest month that the California had was in May 500 or 452 million um, but notably I will say in July they had 419 super close to 420. Yeah. But if you wanted to add up and compare what California was doing, you'd have to add Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and British Columbia and Maryland combined to give you the sense of what California is doing on its own. Uh, but a total of $21.7 billion is what these 15 markets were covering. Um, I'm, you know... A second close one up is Arizona, one, $1. $1.9 billion, and then Michigan, almost $2.2 billion. Here's what uh, Michigan looks like. I mean, they kind of keep going up. Um, that's a nice little stair-step pattern on Michigan, whereas it seems like a lot of these other places, Massachusetts, Illinois, Alberta, Florida, they've all kind of leveled out. Well, let's go back one slide for a second. So when I, when I see this slide, Josh, the first thing I see are a bunch of challenging open license environments. So in the cannabis industry, we have limited licenses, limited license environments where the licenses are capped. Um, New Jersey is a prime example of that, where you have a limited amount of licenses and a large amount of people that tends to lead to a lot of revenue and higher margins. What I see across this screen are more mature, largely the exception of Arizona, which flipped more recently, but I see more mature open license environments. And as we see the total sales declining, I think people commonly look at this and think people are using less cannabis. And take myself as an example. I'm kind of a moderate consumer. You know, I might have have you know less than a quarter gram of flour at a time and do that a few times a week. And an eighth might usually I'll have a few eighths at a time to rotate around, but an eighth, eighth you know, could last me, you know, a few weeks. If prices in California go down 50%, I'm not going to buy twice as much flour. I'm going to keep consuming how I am right now, price isn't going to drive me to buy more. So when I see that declining graph right there, sometimes people think cannabis isn't as popular or the normalization story isn't happening. And I see it differently. I see this largely as being a, a factor of price compression and cannabis not being something it's more of a staple than it is a discretionary, has a little bit of both traits, kind of depending on the medical or recreational side, meaning that I think uh, medical users treat it more like a staple where they need it no matter what, whereas discretionary users 
users. You know, it's more of a treat or just something to use once in a while. But what we're seeing here in cannabis is price compression across all these markets driven by two things. One is open licenses, where sometimes there's just too many licenses and too much stuff being grown. But looking specifically at California, the issue here is more that we don't have enough dispensaries. So I used to run a collective in California um, for three years during the medical era. When we flipped to adult use, the regulations got way more difficult. It's super hard to open a store. You know, Hirsch Jane in a recent Twitter space, as I did, said you could expect it to take about 18 months and about a million dollars to get a store open. So California, when I was uh, competing uh, in the medical days, there was about 15,000 stores. Today, there's about 1,000. And so part of the problem we're having in California is there's a lot of flour being grown. That's true, but that's changing. People aren't renewing licenses as much, but there's not enough stores to sell that flour. And so sometimes what looks like an, a demand issue is really just a lack of places to access cannabis, which makes it harder to get those sales numbers up. So I guess kind of overall in that first slide, just the comment about open license environments versus limited license environments and how much price compression is, is, is affecting the business. Now on this slide, what's interesting is Michigan has seen huge price price compression. I think maybe it's gone down more than any other market, more than 50%, like closer to 70% over 12 months. But you're seeing the sales numbers increase. And I think that's because we're seeing a lot of new stores open in Michigan. Um, you know, Terrasen and Ascend are both playing that game, trying to get scale in Michigan. Michigan has thin margins due to the big big, uh, big uh, price compression there. But I think the number of stores, and uh, it's always been um, a real, you know, cannabis has always been real popular in Michigan. But I think we're seeing the sales increase or stay healthy there due to the number of stores opening. That's interesting. So let's look at um, total sales just um, in a maybe easier graph just by countries instead of individual provinces or states. You mentioned that um, you don't believe that it that all users are using it for a staple, which kind of would be in. in we, we generally talk about sin stocks, right? And, and mm -hmm. kind of that 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 stickiness, uh, that power that it has. And yet you're talking more on the sense of uh, more normalcy where there's there's a, a divide there. There's two types of individuals. There's those that are going to be more hit by price conscious, like my my brother-in-law who, who quit using cannabis. There's other price conscious users versus medical who aren't going to change at all. Um, I think that's going to be interesting if, if that does play out and it's not a sin stock um, or it's not uh, something that that people are going to use indefinitely, um, regardless of the price compression or the you know, inflationary pressures put on them with uh, groceries to gas and everything else. Mm -hmm. um, you think? Yeah, I think I, I think there's clear there's clearly from my experience um, in running a collective and selling cannabis and also looking at you know data like the great stuff headset puts together is there clearly are two groups of users. There mm -hmm. are the people that are going to take my dad, for example, he's 75 and manages a chronic pain problem using cannabis as his primary medicine. And so it's built into his budget. He buys this basically the same things or the same types of things might rotate strains around, mm -hmm. but he has CBD and CBG tinctures. He uses concentrates and flour for relief. And it's pretty much the same amount, same budget every month. Mm -hmm. Take that versus your brother-in-law or, you know, a kid in college or, you know, whatever the case may be, somebody that doesn't have a something that they're treating every day or, you know, isn't, you know, a, a, da a daily or real, um, 
heavy cannabis user, if they, like you said, if they have more money that has to go to gas and more money that has to go to groceries, that's going to come out of something like cannabis. Now, I think you're right on that sin part where I think people will will and do use cannabis as a bit of a coping mechanism, you know, kind of like alcohol sales tend to do pretty well at a downturn. Right. So I think overall cannabis will outperform um, and do pretty well during a downturn, but I don't think it's totally a staple. I think it's maybe like a three-quarter staple, one-quarter discretionary type thing. Mm -hmm. The other trend, though, that we're seeing within this is people trading down. And so when times are tougher, people might buy, let's say you're going to buy a quarter of flour. You might not get the fancy indoor. You might go down to the greenhouse or even buy the smalls to save a few bucks. Mm -hmm. So you might still consume that quarter ounce of cannabis, but maybe you're looking to pay 50 for it rather, rather than 75. Mm -hmm. So I think that trade down comes, uh, comes in the data as well. And um, for a while in the industry, there was this thought that you wanted to have a roster of premium products like Verano does, because people think that those have um, higher margins and are easier to brand. But what we've seen over the last year, and what I think we'll see in 23, is people being more price conscious and doing what Ascend did, where Ascend previously was more focused on high-end indoor stuff. They've now created a good, better, best lineup, where they're kind of going through all the flour and sorting it by you know size and quality and THC percentage to hit a few price points because i think consumers are still going to continue to shift down to they'll want to cope they'll want to have something to use but maybe they don't need the most expensive thing mm -hmm. yeah and we're gonna see a lot of that in in some of these slides too I mean, okay cool you just mentioned year over year sales growth we'll start with uh these groups here and kind of see i think some of the it's interesting the average um growth was around 5%, but a lot of it was was in a decline. So some of the worst hit was Nevada, negative 44%. British Columbia, on the other hand, one of the only positive markets, 22%. And we'll see Michigan had almost 32% positive. But on average, that growth, uh, year-over-year sales growth was around 5%. Some of the markets that reflect that average was like Alberta, I guess, were on the flip side, California was negative 5%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, I'd be curious to see like the amount of flour being grown versus the value of that flour, because I think the bigger part here is price compression. There are some tough comps coming up that COVID period, but we're kind of moving past that. You know, during COVID, I think everyone was at home and using a little bit more cannabis than normal. So year over year comps were kind of tough. Um, I think we're moving, you know, I think next year we'll be moving off of that and the comps won't look quite as bad. But once again, not to beat a dead horse, but I think most of this is due to price compression as opposed to lower unit volume. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, this one kind of just shows right here a little bit like Colorado, Maryland, Oregon, all showing some significant year-over-year -year declines. Whereas Canada, I don't know, they're, they're still up there for, for whatever reason. <laughs> Yeah, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about Canada, Canada, just because I don't think there's a lot of real investable things in Canada right now. But I would speculate that finally their supply is coming down. I don't track the retail in Canada, but maybe some of these provinces are seeing um, more stores open. But I think that they're probably starting to finally fix that oversupply problem that, that they have. Yeah. Let's take a look at um, what people um, are buying more of. Pre-rolls, maybe that's because people aren't sharing as much, not passing the bowl, and they just want like a little dog walker infused, obviously growing rapid pace. Um, vape pens, I guess vape gate kind of didn't really end up being much. Uh, there's brands and, and recognition and, um, you know, the trust factor, I think, is there for a lot of people. And but especially, I do... the, especially in the legal market, um, yeah. vape oh, yeah, gate yeah. was, yeah, vape gate was 
turned out to be largely due to unregulated unregulated products with something called vitamin E acetate in them that was causing that they think was causing the issue. So um, I'm not a huge vape pen user, but I think in the legal market, those are probably a pretty solid choice. Yeah, but that whole that fear factor didn't leach into the market. I don't think at all. The thing that I see here, Josh, looking at this data is a trend towards convenience and being a little bit more discreet, but mainly convenience. Um, I think what you're seeing with the increase in pre-rolls is a decrease. Uh, I don't know if we see it on here, but I think raw flour consumption, like you'd roll a joint or pack a pipe or pack a bong, mm -hmm. I think that's gone down and that's where uh, the pre-roll market has picked up some of that. So maybe between those two, it's if I remember the data, it, it's about flat, but pre-rolls are taking it out of flour as people want more convenience. And also in California, you probably see this too, in, uh, in Washington, Josh's, uh, those infused pre-rolls absolutely are a hit. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, half gram ones, uh, dust them in some keef, put some live resin or diamonds or you know distillate or whatever the case may be. Um, those are huge. And then going back to those uh, to those vapor pens, um, people love those, especially, you know, I'm a dad, I have two kids, I don't want to be smelling like cannabis. Mm -hmm. I don't want the house to be smelling like cannabis. And so I think people like me, um, you know, well, all sorts of people, people, people medicating on the go. There's a tons of uses, uses for vape pens, but I think, um, convenience and, um, discretion are huge. And then the gummies category, I kind of see the same way, um, growing well, I think kind of because the products are improving for a while gummies were, or edibles in general, where you got a brownie and you didn't know what was in it. And you, you know, it would make, it might take an hour or two to hit and you'd be overwhelmed by it. It would linger around too long. And now, especially in California, we have a lot of cool, uh, of these rapid onset, rapid offset solutions where they're using nano emulsion technology to make the effect come on more quickly and also dissipate more quickly and get a little bit more of a predictable outcome. And edibles definitely follow, fall in that discrete category where if you're, hanging out with the family or heading out to a concert you can ha have a gummy bear or two and uh it's real low key so i think we'll see these trends continue where um, discretion and convenience will do well and that probably comes out of traditional flour and flour is still huge but i mean it's still the input that makes all of this work so i think growing f good flour is absolutely this should be the starting point for folks um the last one on here, beverages, that's an interesting one. Some people make huge claims about what's going to go on in that market. Uh, I made an effort to try a ton of these, and um, I like some of them. You know, Wonder and Can in particular stand out to me as, as ones I thought were tasty, uh, low-dose seltzers. But they're so expensive for what you get. I mean, right. you could pay five dollars for a five milligram for a five milligram beverage, mm -hmm. and maybe I'll do that once in a while. But at that price, that's not going to be my primary uh, choice of medicating. So I think the beverage category is one to watch, but I think it needs to come down in price quite a bit to make that work. Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. California leads a lot of trends, automotive and everything else, and with cannabis at forty percent market share, I think we'll probably see that. Uh, maybe even globally, or if not less. But the way I look at it is a conservative area like Arizona might go with a vape pen, whereas a place like Washington uh, is going to go with a pre-roll. So going to MJ BizCon as an example, the plane smelled like a like a ashtray. Like everyone <laughs> before they got on the plane was was smoking, just blazing. Mm -hmm. And then you get into Vegas, and I get I, I smoke a blunt, a blunt. That's my guilty pleasure. I go into an elevator, and everyone's like gagging, like "Oh my god!" <laughs> so then I'm like, "Okay, well maybe I should vape before I go into the hotel." And so there's all these like depending on where I'm at is how I as how I smoke. You know, like I don't want to just blow everybody out at, at a casino. But at some point, um, you know, I, I think that back to the my original point, conservative areas like Arizona probably going with vape pen and people who don't give a shit like Washington yeah. are, are going to go with their loud uh, pre-rolls. I think that's fair.
Uh, but looking at the kind of how things have shifted year over year in terms of sales growth, I would think that um, you know, people that were buying tinctures, not like your dad, because he's got a disposable income where he can afford that, whereas the younger kids probably dropped off. And we're going to probably see some of that data here in a, in a slide or two, where some of those categories dipped because there is no substitution. There's no option for that, uh, quote unquote, uh, plastic jug of you know tequila version if, if you're looking at uh, reducing your your uh, your expenses but looks um like there's been some changes overall more people in canada gen x are buying for some reason a lot more 10 percent more yeah the biggest trend i see in terms of demographics are a couple of things and i think it's kind of reflected here but it's just kind of what i see in my life and from business experiences are that the younger generation clearly is understanding the message that if you if you were to rank order tobacco alcohol and cannabis they understand cannabis is the least harmful of those three, which is not how folks like you and I, Josh, grew up. And our generation, cannabis was completely demonized. And uh, that's changed as I think more data has become available and I expect that to continue to change as we get some real research on cannabis. So my kids growing up, um, not just because I work at the industry, but just their generation as teens, I think they understand the risk profiles better. So seeing that Gen Z consuming um, more cannabis isn't super surprising to me. The other part is um, that the boomers, they're there's so many great um, things for that generation uh, to um, ways to improve their lives with cannabis, you know, with all the pain problems, um, all the real medical issues, whether it be, you know, th th things like, uh, you know, pain problems or a, a, a number of other things that cannabis could help with. I think that generation is just going to continue to discover, to discover that more and more, especially as states like Florida, which is medical now, as that moves to rec and any, anyone can go, anyone over 21 can go into, go into a store and try some of these products. I think they'll continue to rediscover cannabis, kind of like they did when they were younger. But I think they'll also, um, there's a, a bunch of ways seniors can improve their lives with cannabis. So I think that category will continue to be helpful or to be to be improving. Absolutely. Um, want to move on to basket size to kind of show how much people are buying on average and what that you know looks like. Um, with California, you can kind of see it coming down. And I think that has a lot to do with inflation because the, the delivery was $65, right, on average in, in California. And so people were going in initially and spending at least 65 And now it's come way down telling me that people are going into the store because they don't have the money to be able to afford those, those minimum purchases. So now the average is $57 and change in California. Um, the average is about that. It's about $57. Um, other areas that are kind of comparable to that are Colorado and Arizona at 52 and 59 respectively. But um, it could come down to when you have better legalization to be like Washington, where we are only spending $31 and 90 cents. It's really <laughs> low because it's convenient because we go when we want, we buy what we want. And, you know, there's, there's so many options to go versus a place like, um, let me show you Maryland uh, where it's $88 yeah, uh, on average, that people are spending. Do you think that might be driven by how many stores a state has? For example, if yeah. there's five stores and they're available, like liquor stores or coffee shops, that you don't feel pressure to make a huge purchase. Whereas if you've got to wait in line for a half hour and drive thirty minutes to get there, then maybe you're going to spend more like a hundred bucks. Do you think that's probably a bit of what's happening there? Depends. Yeah, the limited licensed states definitely have that issue. And then you also have long lines in Illinois from neighboring states, you know, Wisconsin mm -hmm. coming or wherever they're coming from. 
and buying in a ton because they don't want to come back. So yeah, you definitely see some of that, but I think overall the trend is, is coming way down. Um, even in Maryland, they started off at $108 on average and went all the way down to 88. So regardless of who it is, uh, they're all spending a lot yeah. less and, and it's at a more rapid pace than we were accustomed to seeing new emerging markets. It would take them a couple years to come down, but COVID really sped up that price compression. Yeah, the other trend you see that uh, isn't reflected because we're just looking at monthly numbers here is intra-month, whereas you see a lot bigger purchases early on of the month as people have, you know, get, most people get paid first of the month and the first and the 15th. And so you'll see people doing bigger basket sizes earlier in the month and then just kind of getting by to the end of the month and then the cycle repeats itself. And I think that's become more exaggerated as everybody has a little bit less discretionary income as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would agree with that. This is a graph that just kind of shows that on average um, for the year rather than uh, month by month, but kind of showing that Michigan is an outlier uh, and everyone else is like really pulling back. So Michigan, basket volume and basket size. So volume went up huge and size went down. So again, that's probably for a lot of new stores opening, you think, Josh? Like how else does the basket volume go up so much? That's got to be new doors opening. Is it neighboring states? Um, is Could it be. price compression? Is it is it a combination of adding more stores? I, honestly, I don't know. I think it could be a combination of a variety of all of those things. It's interesting that we've seen Michigan stand out in that regard a, a few times. So I might dig into that a little bit more just to make sure I understand what's happening there because they definitely are an outlier from some of these states. Right. Um. So average item price, this isn't uh, how much people are spending, but I guess the average the average price of, of the items that they're buying. I should probably look into exactly how headset is categorizing this, but um, it's different than what we were just showing. But the, I think the, the main point is that everything is going down. <laughs> yeah. So it looks like uh, Canada's a bit more stable, maybe down closer to 5% and just kind of eyeballing the US numbers. It looks like that compression is at least 10% or more in terms of the average item price by country. Yeah, so mm -hmm. av average item price, that's an interesting in, 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 interesting metric. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would have thought it could have dropped even a little bit more than this, but there's probably multiple things that go into that calculation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, year over year and changing the equal uh, equalized price by country, um, which is interesting because you can kind of see, you would think that... Um, what tinctures is even on here kind of wanted to to point that out, but I think there's another slide that shows how, how much that sector has been hit, but uh, year over year change in price has come way down, which is interesting because everything else is going up gas and everything is going up, but cannabis is like the only thing that's going down. The timing is weird. I think it's because there's too many stores there's not stores, but too many growers. Um, they got to kind of work that work out the, the supply and demand maybe. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I think slow state rollouts have been a problem too. Like um, in California, like I mentioned, we have a thousand stores. We used to have 15,000 during the medical era. Jesus. And uh, we, ex uh, we expect about 300 to come on a line in the next 
here. So that's an improvement, but still a huge, uh, huge ways to go. Illinois is another state where they held back those 183 uh, social equity licenses, and those are just being released now. We'll see those stores come online over the next uh, 24 months or so. Mm -hmm. So I think like I always think about cannabis as a state-led growth story. And I think the state rollout has been a bit slow. Um, sometimes states get approved like New Jersey and they take forever to come online. And then even once states do come online, you, you can't just count that as a rec state because they take years and years and years to really build out. And so I think that uh, the, that state-led growth story has been a little bit slower than most of us would have hoped. Mm -hmm. um, this is an interesting one. This is the number of SKUs that are offered. Um, and I, I wanted to point this out because in Washington, it's pretty crazy. We have 1,770 products in a store. So when you go in, unlike Nevada, where you don't see any product at all, this displayed on all of the, the walls and everything. So it's very, very in, uh, intimidating when you go in and you see that. Um, some other states that have a lot of product offerings, Illinois, they have 992 versus a place like Florida, they only have 94. Mm -hmm. On average across all of these markets is uh, 595 products and Oregon kind of is the closest one to that at around 563. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like the, a variety of products. I definitely don't like the way that that Nevada does it because I kind of want to see. I'm more of a visual person. I don't want just to go into Chicago or Nevada and order on a tablet. I'd like a some other way to do it. But um, Washington only allows you to buy based on Indica Sativa or the price. It's stupid. Whereas in Nevada, they're a little bit more mature and they let you order by terpenes. Yeah. So you have all of these SKUs and really no way of filtering it. Yeah, and Florida is interesting too because Florida is a you have to be vertically integrated in Florida. So I think that's what's causing the lower number of products is that you need to actually be producing those yourself as opposed to stores or you know, states like Illinois and Washington where they don't require vertical integration. Then you have a bunch of different people growing the mm -hmm. products and manufacturing them, and then you can bring those different brands into your store. So I think that's part of why Florida is so low. The mm -hmm. advantage there for Florida is that vertical integration usually leads to or not usually almost always leads to higher margins as you're essentially collecting that distributor margin yourself and you get more control of the supply chain that way. But from a patient perspective, it does really limit the, limit the options. Yeah. Colorado, same thing. Um, it doesn't really incentivize you to create more products. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to brand concentration and, and how many um, of the, the top 10 companies or how many companies own the top 10 brands, I should say. Um, you can kind of see some of this this concentration uh, at around 5% on average. Some of the higher ones, Ontario and Alberta and BC, they all have at least 10%, meaning um, there's a lot more brands that those top 10 companies own, whereas it's a lot lower in Washington and Michigan. They only have around 5% of that, that concentration or that market share. Yeah, in California, you, you tend to see a lot of the same brands over and over. Uh, Glasshouse is obviously a big one. They have that monster greenhouse in Southern California that has 5.5 million square feet. That's more than all of True Leaf's cultivation combined in one greenhouse. 
And so, um, you know, brands like Glasshouse, you tend to see everywhere. They're not using all 5.5. They're subletting some of it to uh, grow vegetables right now. But they have mm-hmm. the ability mm-hmm. to light up 5.5 million square feet there, which, again, is more than all of Trulyf uh, uh, cultivation combined. And then you also see some other brands like Cookies in California is huge. Um, Connected and Alien are big. Jungle Boys, not in terms of, um, you know, pounds of flour sold, but in terms of brand identity is big. And we're seeing those move into Florida. Uh, you know, Florida is a market people that is currently medical, but they think will flip rack in the next couple of years. And you see Cookies, Jungle Boys, I think uh, Connected, I think is a, true, a deal with True Leave down there now. So um, yeah, brands are huge in California. And it seems like some of those California brands are spreading out. We see that in Lowell too, right? Mm-hmm. Lowell licensing their pre-rolls into, uh, into other states. Mm-hmm. So $21 trillion is is what we've got. Uh, is that right? Or is that billion? Must be billion. 21.7 billion this year. Maybe we'll be in trillions in a few more years. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's pretty crazy. That's only 15 markets. So globally, we we could reach that trillion dollar mark pretty damn quick. Yeah. Um, Well, I think that about wraps it up. So this, um, I also want to cover a uh, crystal ball prediction. So you guys are gonna have to come back for that episode. But with that, I think we're gonna have to roll this one up. So I want to thank my guest, uh, Jesse Redman. Um, Where can they find you at, Jesse? Where are you at? Yeah, so you could find me um, on LinkedIn, just just punch in my name, Jesse Redmond. On Twitter, I am at Jesse Redmond, J-E-S-S-E-R-E-D-M-O-N-D. And my website is greengiants.net. And on there, I try to write a bunch of stuff and also do a bunch of uh, interviews like Josh is doing today. So uh, greengiants.net is a great place to find me. Check it out. All right, with that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. (laughs) Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Elland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.